They're called CDs. I don't know if you're still familiar with those, but we can make those. We can still do those. Um, but again, it's available on our website for free online. Also, if you have uh, an iPhone or it really any kind of smart device, I think it's available for Android as well. Um, there's an app called Sermon.net, Sermon.net, and you can access all of our messages straight through the app. You don't even have to go to the website. Um, but you want to make sure that you want to you, you get that message, hear that message for sure. We talked about how God views tests and trials. We said that, uh, you know, most of us, we're not failing in a test or failing in a trial because the trial is too great. It's just because we have the wrong perspective of the trial. If we can learn to look at tests and trials the way that God looks at them, you know, the student has a much different perspective of the test than the teacher does. (laughs) You know, you remember when you were in school and you got the test and you were dreading it and the teacher was gave you the test knowing that you could pass it, knowing I've just spent the last six weeks, eight weeks, however long the term was, in getting this information to you, and you can pass this test. See, we've got this thing in church now where we think that God teaches us in the test. The Lord's trying to teach me something. There is no teacher out there in any school, any kind of learning program, that teaches their student in the test. They teach them in the season. And the test is to prove that you know what was taught during the season. A a test is not a teacher. A test is an evaluator. It proves something. I'm giving you this test so you can prove to me that you learned everything. And uh, so, you know, the exciting thing about a test, I'm just kind of re-preaching a little bit, just giving you some of the bullet points. The exciting thing about a test is you only take a test when you're coming out of something or going into something. See, it, when you're graduating out of, a, out of one grade and going into the next, you have to test. You have to take a test to prove that you have the qualifications and the knowledge to get you into the next level. But sometimes you have to take a test to get into something. I remember when I was, uh, I had just finished Bible school and I decided I was going to go back and do some community college and just get some college credits and, and just go for some stuff. And I had to take a test to get in. See, if a test is showing up in your life, it's proving to you that you're on your way out of something or on your way into something. You should be excited at when tests and trials show up. That's why James could say, count it all joy. I'm excited, not because of the test itself, but because of what the test is proving to me, what the test is now going to draw out of me. So when I go into the next phase of my life, I know that I've got what I need. See, the test not only proves to the teacher, but it proves to you. Sometimes, you know, you take a test and you realize you knew more than you thought you did. And you realize that I had more faith than I thought I did. I, I had more love than I thought I did. I had more, uh, you know, steadfastness and I, more patience than I thought I did. So the tests and trials are exciting. And uh, if you're going through a test right now, I pray that that message is an encouragement to you. But I'll tell you this, you'll have to hear it more than once. You'll have to hear it more than once. If you're in the midst of a trial right now and it seems like the test is too strong, the trial is too great, God, you, you, I don't know what you've got going on, I, I can't make it through this, you need to get that message, you need to keep playing it over 
And it, because what it'll do, it'll build your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If your faith is weak, start building it up by hearing something different than what you've been hearing. Sometimes we've just been building faith in the wrong arena. Sometimes we've been hearing too much doubt, too much unbelief, too much negativity, and we need to start hearing faith and trust and what's true and what's real and what does God have to say about it to overcome that. Amen? You've got to counterbalance that. And so, uh, you know, and, and if you're in a situation where you're hearing a lot of negativity and you don't know how to get, maybe you work at a job. And everybody around you negative, everybody around you is talking about how the world's falling apart and they don't have this and they don't have that. How do I get out? Do I quit my job? No. You just got to counterbalance it now. Now that means you got to go home and you got to get that much more of the word in you. Get around people that will build you up. If you've got five coworkers at work that are tearing you down, then you need to go get five godly friends that will build you up. You need to have somewhere to go. Don't just tune it out. Well, I'm just not going to listen to it. You're going to hear it. It's what do you do with it after that. Amen. And so I, I trust that that will uh, encourage you, build you up. And, um, you know, like I said, if you're not currently going through a major test or struggle trial, you will at some point. And that's just the sign that you're going from one season to the next. And God wants to move you to the next season. But there's some proving that needs to happen. Can you do this? Can you make it in the next realm? Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you have an iPad or an iPhone, you can follow along on our version app. Uh, we have the verses up on the big TVs, screens up here. Um, you can follow along there as well. Uh, today I'm going to talk about in the image. In the image. I'm going to talk about the glory of God. And um, this is something, uh, you know, a lot of what we have to do when we get in church. And this, there's two types of unlearning that has to take place. If you come into church and you're not churched and you don't know anything about God, you're actually doing a lot better than some of us people that have been raised in church. Uh, because there are some things even within the church um, that you have to unlearn. One of those words is the word glory. And we've always associated glory with, you know, presence, at least in the church that I grew up with. Glory was, you know, presence or a feeling or, God, we want your glory here. God, rain your glory down. You know, and then sometimes we even sing songs that have to do with that kind of stuff. But what we have to do when we start learning the truth of the word of God is you have to define terms properly. Because once you define a term properly, then you can fully understand what God was saying every time he states that word. And this word glory actually has a different meaning and um uh, I trust that it will be eye-opening for you. I know it was eye-opening for me. And this message um, is kind of a heavier message. Um, you know, sometimes you can, I'll, I'll preach messages, especially on Sundays that are a little bit lighter. And what does that mean? That means it doesn't take so much thought to process. Okay? Especially on Wednesdays, I go a little bit deeper. Why? Because that's uh, typically your core group. Those are people that have sacrificed 
to be there. And that's not dogging anybody that doesn't come on Wednesdays. That's not putting down anybody. But it's obvious if you show up on a Wednesday night, you've paid a price to be there. And God is very clear in his word. The price you pay determines what you get back. What you invest determines what you get out. And if you've only put in 50 bucks, I'm not going to give you 100 bucks. You're going to get 50 bucks. But those that come and pay the price and, man, I know I got work tomorrow and I just got off work here. and I got to rush home and change and grab some dinner real quick. And maybe I didn't even get time to eat dinner. I'll just wait till after service. And, and we've all done that. And when you're sacrificing like that to hear the word of God, not just to come hang out. Look, I, I, I'm sure I'm a pretty cool guy, but I know you just didn't burn through your evening to come hang out with me on a Wednesday night. You came for something more than that. OK, um, and so this is one of those heavier messages. There'll be some processing. And so I'm going to try to go slow, but I want to reveal some things here. Colossians chapter one, verse 27 says to them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, what's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now this can be a tough verse to swallow because again God doesn't speak to who you are on the outside he talks to who you are on the inside remember you're a three-part being spirit soul and body you are a spirit you possess a soul and you live in a body and if we're not careful as believers we'll always relate to the outside to the flesh on the outside but those who have come to know Christ can relate to something different those who have come to know Jesus can relate to what's on the inside of them, not just what's on the outside of them. Amen. We know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We know that that's not referring to the outside, because when you came down front, you prayed the prayer, you turned around and walked back to your seat, you didn't look different. Your hair was the same color. Your eyes were the same color. You were the same height. You didn't grow. You didn't shrink. You didn't get skinnier. You didn't get fatter. You went back to your seat the same way you came down to the front. On the outside, nothing's different. But on the inside, God has made you a new person in Christ Jesus. Put verse 27 back up. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of of the glory of this mystery among you Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now, what does this word glory mean? This word glory literally means this image or representation. Image or representation. The glory of God is his image. The glory of God 
is who he is, what he looks like, how he thinks, and how he operates. That's the glory of God. The glory of God isn't a, a tingly feeling that falls in to the in the middle of a worship service when they're playing the right song and hitting the right notes and singing at the right octave. It's it's the glory of God is the image, is his physical representation in the earth. And so he says here, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The only hope that we have of getting Christ, the only hope of, that we have of getting God's image and God's representation in the earth is Christ in us. Look at how the New Living Translation puts this. Verse 27. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. See, Gentiles refers to the outsiders. Jesus came for the Jewish people. But now they're writing and they're saying that this representation, this image that God has is not just for the Jewish people. It's for everybody. Once you include the Gentiles, you're including everybody. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. If you haven't come to that revelation, today you need to know that Christ lives in you. Lives inside of you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory, His image, His representation. Not just sharing in a feeling, but sharing in who God actually is. What God put in you, he intended to reveal through you. What God put inside of you wasn't just for you. You need to know that. What God placed inside of you was for you to reveal to a lost and dying world. That's what he meant by be light in darkness. Becoming light in darkness. God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ, the image of Christ, is for you also. I mean, if we're including the Gentiles, we're including everybody. You've got to know that. There is nobody that's on the outside of this thing that says, well, I guess I'm not good enough. I guess I can't have Christ in me. Look at verse 28 in the New Living. So we tell others about Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship with Christ. Now, perfect doesn't mean you don't ever mess up. Perfect means you are mature. You've heard me say this a million times. It speaks of maturity. Perfection isn't, I don't ever mess up, I don't ever fail. But when we do fail, we know how to get it right. Because he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. But he wants us to be mature, to grow up into him, Ephesians chapter 4 says. To grow up into him, into all things. To become the fullness of Christ. So what God has placed on the inside of us as salvation, he has intended to reveal that through us. That means that we ought to be the glory, the image, the representation of God 
in this earth. Well, that's not too unfamiliar if you know the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our what? Image. Let us make man in our image. Adam wasn't created like this species that never existed before. And God said, oh, look what we've got here. Never seen this before. No, God was actually looking in the mirror when he created Adam. And said, you're going to look like me. You're going to think like me. You're going to represent me in the earth. Why? Because God is a king and God is a king and reigns in Heaven. But when he created the earth, he created the earth as a physical, natural, visible expansion of heaven itself. A representation. The earth at creation looked just like heaven. Heaven is a spiritual place, cannot be seen with the natural eye. But now he created an earth that looks just like heaven. A natural, visible realm. Then he creates a man. A natural, physical image of who God is in heaven. But we know it didn't take man very long, Adam and Eve, two chapters later, fall from dominion, fall from authority, fall from God's glory. Now they don't talk like God. Now they don't think like God. Now they don't act like God when that's what they were designed to do. In the image, in the likeness, Why? Because God wanted Adam to do in the earth what he was doing in heaven. God wanted Adam to reign in the earth like he was reigning. What do you mean reign? Look at Genesis 1.26. Let them have dominion, authority, control. Let them govern the earth. So what I'm doing here in heaven, I need them to do in the earth. So they need to act and operate and think and talk like me. So you're saying man was God? No, man wasn't God. Man was created in the image of God. Man still had to remain in submission to God's authority. And as long as he remained under God's authority, he remained in authority. But if you disobey who's above you, nobody's obeying who's below you. You'll be removed from authority. So Genesis chapter 3 shows up and man lost something. Man didn't lose access to heaven because Adam and Eve weren't running around wondering, okay, when's Jesus coming back? They weren't concerned about heaven. They were only concerned with taking care of the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue it, have dominion. Control it. Govern it. But in Genesis chapter 3, when they sinned, they lost something very important. They lost the glory of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God would show up with his glory, but it always had to be contained. The glory always had to be contained inside temples, inside the Holy of Holies, inside of a tabernacle. He had to find natural things to put his presence on the earth, but he can never put his presence back inside of man. He can never put his image and his representation back inside of you and I. Until Jesus showed up. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 20. This is what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. For all have sinned. Because if one man sinned, we've all sinned, Romans says. We were born into Adam's sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory. We have all fallen short of the image of God. We've fallen short of the representation of God. Sin repels the glory of God. The glory cannot be where sin is. That's why the, uh, the priests, when they would go into the Holy of Holies, they would have to wear bells around their wardrobe. And they would tie a rope to their foot. And if there was any sin in that priest, when he went in, he would fall dead. Because sin and glory do not mix. Sin and the image of God do not mix. There is nothing about sin that has anything to do with the image of God. And so he would fall dead and they'd have to drag him out because you couldn't go in to get him. You just pile up a bunch of dead guys. That's how important this thing. But righteousness attracts the glory of God. Sin repels the glory of God. But righteousness attracts the glory of God. Well, what does 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 say? I don't have it in there, but it says this. I'll just say it to you. For God has made you, made you, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that Jesus went to the cross not to take you to heaven. You, you, I can't go to heaven? I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. But I'm saying that wasn't God's ultimate purpose in sending his son. See, there was something that was living inside of man that God said, I've got to get rid of that if I'm going to put this in it. See, man is God's most treasured creation. Most loved creation. But the thing that he loved the most contained the thing that he hated the most. Sin. So, he said, I've got to take care of the sin issue. If I can get sin out of them, I can get my spirit back in them. I can get my image back in them, get my representation to show through them. I can get my glory to be revealed through them. So Jesus comes and makes you the righteousness in God. Jesus has taken care of every sin, past, present, and future. He's done it all. The price has been paid. Been paid. If you're still fighting sin, you're trying to do something that Jesus has already taken care of. He made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does righteousness do? It attracts glory. Righteousness says, I am now the image of God. In the earth. But see, you're righteous on the inside. What is righteousness? Righteousness is simply right standing with the authority, with God's authority. See, Adam was righteous in Genesis chapter 1. He was righteous in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, he becomes unrighteous. He's out of line with the governing authority. 
But now Jesus has placed us back. When God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. He doesn't see failure. He doesn't see incomplete. He sees whole. He sees righteousness. He sees right standing. And now his glory can now be shown through you. Look at John chapter 2. Jesus is our example. Amen? Jesus is our example. Anything you want to learn about yourself, you need to look at Jesus. We put Jesus on this pedestal and he's the son of God and that's why he was able to live without sin and never sinned and always did right and always had wisdom and always had all this power and authority and was raising dead people and casting out demons and healing all kinds of sickness and calming storms. And guess what? Jesus was your example. John 14, 12 tells us that the greater things, the the things that Jesus did, even greater things we would do. And that's written in red. Jesus said it. Jesus said the things that I'm, the, the things you've been seeing me do, you've been wandering around me for three and a half years, watching me do all these marvelous things. And guess what? You're going to do even greater things. Look what John chapter 2, verse 11 says. John chapter 2. This is after his very first miracle. He turns water into wine. And in verse 11 it says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested or revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. When glory shows up, People will believe in God. See, it's not for you. You weren't made righteous so you could get to heaven and take care of me. It's all about me. No, God has placed something in you that is now to be revealed to the world. He said, I want you to demonstrate and show the world what my image looks like, what my glory looks like. These signs that Jesus began to do, they were the glory of God being revealed in the earth. And people believed in him based upon seeing the image of God through Jesus. And it's the same with us. That's what this glory is all about. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Second Corinthians chapter three. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is what is happening to you. We're not just sitting around waiting with a suitcase packed, ready to get to heaven. We're on this earth to be transformed into who God is, what God does, how God operates, how God thinks, how God talks. 
so that we can bring liberty to people. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4? The first time he got up and preached, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach freedom, to set at liberty the captives, bring sight to the blind. And you are now the body of Christ in the earth. We're the body of Christ. Everything that Jesus was, his church is. Everything that Jesus did, his church should be doing. What Jesus looked like is what the church should look like. Because we're the body of Christ. The body of Jesus in the earth today. We are his image. We are his glory. We are the glory of God. We've been given the glory of God. Look at this same passage in New Living, in the New Living Translation. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect, see and reflect the glory of the Lord, His image. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Do you see this this morning? That we are to reflect God in the earth. That doesn't mean you have to go around, you know, with your chest puffed out and acting all super spiritual everywhere. It could be as simple as showing someone love that is operating in hate towards you. The next time all your co-workers get around the table and they start gossiping about that other person out in the hall, you can stand up and say, I'm not going to have any part of this. That's the image of God. We don't have to super spiritualize it. God has glory. God thinks differently, talks differently, and his image has now been given to you so you can reveal God to the world. And we're being transformed He makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. What does that mean? That means what's on the inside of me is coming out. See, that's called living from the inside out instead of the outside in. What God has placed inside of you is greatness. What God has placed inside of you, He's made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And now what is on the inside can show up on the outside. So let me show you this. Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. Remember, God placed us on the earth. God's original intention is still His intention today. The reason why God placed Adam here is the reason why He placed you here. No, that doesn't mean you get to run around naked and frolic in a garden. Things have changed. But the same purpose is still there. God's intention for creating Adam was to rule and reign on this earth. Look, we've all got gardens. You've been given a territory. That's all a garden is, is territory. An area that you dominate. It might be your job. It might be your business. It might be your home. It might be your circle of friends. It might be where you come and go. Whatever it is, you have territory that you can represent God to. 
Well, what about when problems show up? Well, there was a problem that showed up to Adam and Eve in the garden. Amen. Called a snake, the serpent. And Adam and Eve didn't need to get on their hands and knees and and start crying out to God to take care of the snake. Who was given the dominion in Genesis 1.26? Let them have dominion. Eve and Adam both had the authority and all the resource they needed to tell that snake where to go. Over everything that creeps on the earth. And Satan is a creep. And he was creeping that day. He showed up. But Adam and Eve could have easily told the snake where to go. Adam and Eve could have easily used the authority and the dominion that God had given them. Well, we could do the same thing today. We've got the same authority. We've got the same dominion. All you've got to do is ask yourself, what would God do about this situation? Because he's given that to you. Look at Psalms chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. What does that do? That shows priority. His image and his representation is higher than the heavens themselves. You know, there's some songs that we used to sing traditionally back in the day where we thought glory was heaven. Just take me on to glory. Take me on to glory land. Well, that wouldn't make any sense. If, how could heaven be set above heaven? That wouldn't make any sense. Out of the mouth and babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man? Here we go. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. Watch this. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Now that word angels is not angels. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, that's because the translators, they didn't grasp what God was trying to say in this verse. And so they had to dumb it down because that actual word translated all the way back to the Hebrew is the word Jehovah. What does that mean? For you have made him a little lower than God himself. You don't work for the angels. The angels work for you. Let me just let you know. If we're looking at rank and structure right here, it goes God, it goes you, and it goes the angels. You're not lower than the angels. He has made us just a little lower than himself. Jehovah, God, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the king that reigns forevermore. You are just below him. And you have crowned him with what? Glory. You've been crowned with God's image, with God's representation. Why? Verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. What's he saying? I have made you a certain way because I need you to do a certain thing. 
Being in the image of God allows you to operate the way God originally designed you and intended you to operate. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. See, I don't own the earth, but I'm in charge of it. God is the owner. He created it. He's the owner by right of creation. Because he created it, he gets to own it. It's his. But Psalms 115, 16 tells us that he created the heavens and the earth, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. You control it. You dominate it. So instead of me being led by what's going on in the world, I'm changing it. Why? Because all things have been set under my feet. Verse 7. Sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field. Verse 8. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the paths of the paths of the sea. Is this sounding familiar? Does this sound like Genesis chapter 1? Verse 26, verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. See, Operating in God's image and bearing his representation is not an option. It's who we are. We've been crowned with glory. Well, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, but Jesus took care of it. That's why he came. And every time we bring up our past, every time we bring up our sin, every time we bring up our failures, we are making it seem as if what Jesus did wasn't good enough. But he's paid the price. He's taken care of it. Why? Because he needs you to represent him in the earth today. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. The glory of God allows you to represent him. The glory of God allows you to walk in love towards people that hate you. The glory of God allows you to operate in, in uh, uh, instead of operating in fear and anxiety, you get to operate in peace. The glory of God allows you to operate with patience instead of being impatient with people. The glory of God allows you to take control of your finances instead of your finances controlling you. The glory of God allows you to dominate sickness and disease instead of sickness and disease dominating you. That's the glory of God. That's being the representation. That's having all things under my feet. Because I've been crowned with glory. I've been crowned with honor. I've been given dominion over the works of his hands. And now I've been placed back in charge because of what Jesus did. It's time the church starts to reveal God's glory. It's time the church begins to show the world what God's image looks like. To represent God in the earth. God's glory is more than a feeling. It's more than a presence. It's not just what you feel. It's who you are that allows you to do what you're called to do. I mean, across this room this morning, we've got people that are doing all kinds of different things. We've got farmers. We've got military. We've got stay-at-home moms. We've got graphic designers. Whatever you do, 
whatever you do, we are to represent God in it. We're to be His image in the earth. See, the world's looking for God. They may not know it, but they're looking for God. They're looking for something. Even atheists are looking for God. And they don't even know it. And the awesome thing to think is that God is sitting right next to them. God is in the cubicle over. God is sitting in the truck with them. God goes to work with them every day. God punches the time clock with them every day in the form of you. Yeah, I hear people, you know, say things like, man, they need help. You ever said that about someone? Man, they need help. What they need is Jesus. That's how I always respond to people. What, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus. And you are Jesus. You are the body of Christ. You are the representation of His image to those people. Amen? Father, we thank You today for Your glory in us and through us. For Your glory that is represented through us, Father. You are in the earth today. You're not uh, dislocated, removed from our situations and from the world that we live in. Father, we thank You that we get to be the representation of God in the earth today. When we see people that are in need, when we see a world that's lost and dying, Father, we know that we are the answer. We are your glory. We are your image and representation in the earth today. So I thank you, Father, you're revealing that to us. You're working through us. We're honored and privileged that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die to take care of the sin, to place your spirit back within us so we could reveal the kingdom of God back in the earth today. We thank you for all that you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We want to take up our tithe and offering at this time. Hallelujah. If you need an offering envelope, please raise your hand real high, and our ushers will get one to you. Amen. We appreciate your giving, your sowing, your influence financially into everything that God is doing here at Anchor Faith Church. It's needed. It's necessary. And we appreciate you being a part uh, through your finances. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. We're going to pray over our tithe and offering and we'll dismiss. Father, we thank you for this time to give, to sow into your kingdom. Father, it's a privilege to sow. It's a privilege to give towards what you're doing, Father, to contribute financially. You are our source. You are our provider. You are Lord, Father. We thank you that you know everything that we need before we even ask. You know what we need even before we know what we need, Father. And so I thank you that you have every answer. You have every supply. You have every resource. It comes to us because we're obedient to your word and because we love you and because we love your church. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to remind you this weekend, this Saturday, we are having our men's uh, breakfast 
at the Egg and I over off of Ashley Street. Uh, so if you are a guy, you need to be there. Amen. We want to hang out. We want to uh, just have some time to fellowship. Uh, not everything that we do is centered around uh, church and services and preaching and all that. There's times we want to just get together and just hang out. Amen. And just have good godly fellowship. So note that down. Uh, if you are planning on attending, you know you can make it. Just let me know. That way I can have an idea. We need to give some kind of number to them so we have